Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The Integrity of God's Word. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise God. Let's turn over to um, Luke chapter 7. Praise the Lord. You know, some of you tonight may think uh, this will be so simple. I hope, you I hope this isn't so simple that you miss this. But God has really spoken to me that we need to just really be established in basic things. Uh, there's a tendency for us to get to wanting some new revelation all of the time. Boy, I just need something new, something new. I had a lady recently, the last time I was here in uh, Kansas City, that I, I was on something beautiful, and I was talking to this lady, and she says, what's the new revelation that God's given you? And I got to thinking, and I said, well, I don't guess I do have a new revelation. She has looked at me like, you don't have a new revelation. What's wrong with you? And she was into the glory, man. Everything's about the glory of God. That's great. I'm all for the glory of God. All right? I'm not against it, but anyway, she said, well, what are you teaching? And I said, well, I'm just teaching the old basics. I said, I found out that most people don't know that, or at least they aren't operating in it. You know, you don't need to know about, I mean, let me qualify this and say that everything in God's Word has benefit to it. There's nothing that you don't need to know about but you don't need to focus all your attention on what's going to happen in the rapture, what's going to happen at the end times. Those things, I tell you, if you learn how to live right now, you don't have to worry about the end times. I'm a pan millennialist. I believe it's all going to pan out, praise God. <laughs> and I believe that if you're living right now in the victory of the Lord, you don't have to worry about when this and when that. Who cares? Man, if you're walking with God, I'm leaving the first train that leaves, amen. <laughs> Whenever that is, pre, post, or off praise God. And you just need to learn basics. And, and God is all the time bringing me back to basics. Did you know a lot of the new revelation is not new. It's just revelation of things that I was supposed to have known. So, you know, some of the things that God's spoken to me in the last year or two that have really been a blessing to me are things that I learned in the Baptist church, if you can believe that. I just didn't learn them. I heard them, but I didn't learn them. Just some basics. Did you know a lot of spirit-filled people need some of the basics that the old denominations had? Just some of the basic things. So anyway, this is, this is basic. You can't get any more basic than this, and yet I promise you God did not send me here to say this to the people that aren't here. You know, every time I get to preaching on something like this, somebody says, oh, brother, I wish so-and-so was here. They sure need to hear this. <laughs> well, God didn't send me here for so-and-so that's not here. God sent me here for the people that are here, and I believe I'm following what God wants me to say, and so I believe that it's, it's good for you. It's good for us. It's good for all of us. And I just want to share some things about John the Baptist here and the way that Jesus ministered to him and if you will be honest tonight, you'll be able to relate to this, and I believe it'll be able to prosper you. In verse 19, Luke chapter 7 and verse 19, it says, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Now, before we go on with this, you've got to get the background of this, that John the Baptist, remember, was the one that announced Jesus to the entire nation of Israel. Over there in John chapter 1, uh, Jesus, uh, John is the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like a dove descending and lighting upon Jesus, and he told the entire nation, you know, that this is the one coming after me. This is the one that I'm not even worthy to reach down and touch his shoes and unloose his shoes. John knew who he was. He knew what his purpose was. John was separated from his mother's womb. You know, he's the only person in Bible history that I'm aware of, I don't think there's any exceptions to it, that was baptized in the Holy Ghost before he was born. 
When he was in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, that's quite a statement. Did you know Jesus didn't have that? Did you know Jesus was not anointed with the Holy Ghost until he was 30 years old? John the Baptist had it when he was three months conceived before he was even born. That's pretty strong. He was separated unto God. Did you know he never had a normal childhood? But the Bible says that he was in the desert and from the day of his birth until the day of his showing unto the nation of Israel. He was totally separated unto God. He never went through the football programs like all the other kids. He never had the same friends in high school. He never got to go to the proms. He never, he never did any of those kind of things. He was separated totally unto God for a specific calling. His whole life was consumed with it. And he came on the scene preaching, and you got to get the picture of this, that John the Baptist, he didn't have radio or television to advertise him. He didn't put bumper stickers on the camels going across the desert. It wasn't his flashy clothes that grew, drew the crowd. It wasn't his style. It wasn't the bands that he had with him. You know, John the Baptist didn't have anything going for him except that he was anointed of God. And he didn't even go where the crowds were. He didn't go to the great stadiums or he didn't go to the cities. He went out in the deserts and people came to him. You know, if you were to apply those same rules to the ministry today, I dare say that there's one out of a thousand of us that would draw anybody. Well, we have to have advanced publicity, radio and television, comfortable place, air conditioned, do your best, do all of these things, gimmicks, giveaway nights, one that brings the most and packs the pew, gets a special prize, and on and on we go, all the things we do. John the Baptist didn't do it. He went out in the wilderness when there wasn't anybody there and started preaching to the sticks, to the sand. And people passing by heard, and people began to come out. So that in six months' time, John the Baptist had reached an entire nation. In six months' time, without any mass communication, he had evangelized an entire nation and prepared them for the coming of Messiah. You know, that's the most miraculous ministry ever in the history of the world. I don't believe there's anything that ever has or ever will. Uh, equal that. John the Baptist was mightily anointed of God, powerful, used of God. He announced Jesus, but then after Jesus came on the scene, he said it out of his own lips. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. People came to John saying, John, do you know that Jesus is drawing bigger crowds than you are now? Did you know that he's baptized more disciples than what you have? You know, a lot of people today would be really upset with that. But John, because of his calling, because of the purity of his heart, he simply said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John said all of those things. He knew who he was. He knew who Jesus was. He proclaimed him. He was willing to take whatever uh, abuse came. He wasn't out for himself. He was there to promote the Lord. And yet, after six months' time, things began to fall apart for John. His whole ministry that he spent 30 years preparing himself for was over in six months' time. Did you know in the natural that could have breathed a tremendous amount of discouragement, despair? Could have felt like I've wasted my whole life. Six months, it's all over with. And instead of things getting better, it got worse. The crowd began to follow Jesus, and eventually Herod, the king, because he had spoken out about an uh, adulterous affair, an immoral relationship that he had with his brother Philip's wife, he had taken her to be his wife, he spoke out against that Herod, put him in jail. And so here's John the Baptist who saw an entire nation change, and I mean just nearly fall at his feet, repenting before God, being mightily used of God, here he was in a dungeon, not being used of God, not seeing anything. 
And did you know, I believe that John the Baptist, it doesn't say specifically what his concept of Jesus was, but it does say concerning Peter and Andrew, who were disciples of John the Baptist, Peter and Andrew both thought that Jesus came to establish his physical earthly kingdom during his first advent. They were waiting on seeing a kingdom come into being. They were expecting him at any time to take away the rule of the Romans and give it back to the Jews. And so if that's what John's disciples thought, it's very probable that that's what John thought too. And yet instead of him being in the kingdom, instead of him being a part of what Jesus was doing, he was locked up in a dungeon someplace facing death. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many months he stayed there, but he stayed there quite a period of time. And so the, de the despondency, the discouragement, the depression, the confusion that's bound to have come upon him, if you'd be honest, most of us could probably relate to that. Did you know that there's many of us in here that at some time or another God's done something in your life and you think, oh man, praise God, he's real. You get all excited about it and then maybe you come into problems. Maybe there's a situation that comes into your life that wasn't what you was believing for. It wasn't what you expected. You didn't understand why it happened. I guarantee you John the Baptist didn't understand what was happening to him. I don't believe he was prepared for that. Confusion and all these things entered in. And because of it, verse 19 shows us that he sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one that should come or do we look for another? Did you know that statement right there revealed a tremendous amount about what John the Baptist was experiencing? John the Baptist had not only doubted his calling, did you know he was the one that was responsible for announcing Jesus to the nation? He doubted that, man, maybe I missed the whole thing. Maybe I just flat missed it. He doubted himself. He doubted God. He doubted whether Jesus really was the Son of God. He was doubting everything because of his situation that he was in. Did you know that this is what happens to most people? Most people do not take God's Word as being the ultimate authority, but they are so moved by their experience that most people interpret God's Word by their experience, and that's wrong. That'll lead you into deception. It'll lead you into depression, despondency, defeat. You cannot interpret God's Word by your circumstances, but rather you have to interpret your circumstances by God's Word. You have to make the decision in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, to let God be true and every man a liar, regardless of what things look like. I couldn't tell you the number of people that have come to me and they start talking about healing, and I say, well, the Bible says it's God's will to heal. He wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And they say, well, I know so-and-so that believed that and prayed, and they died. Well, big deal. I'm not making light of those people. I understand. I prayed for four people that died while I had my hands on them that did not come back to life. I can have pity, I can have sympathy for those people, but that does not change my belief in what God's Word says. You know, at a time, it looked like God's Word didn't work. Matter of fact, I prayed for a girl one time that died. I was very close to her. I got an emergency leave from Vietnam and came home because her parents told the Red Cross that I was her fiancé. I wasn't, but we had thought about it. I mean, we were real close. And uh, so anyway, they, they lied and got me home from Vietnam. And I was with her when she died. I was with, she strangled to death on her own blood and died. And did you know we sat there and prayed for her for over two and a half hours for her to be raised from the dead. At her funeral, people, there was, there was thousands of people there and people that had never seen her before came because they had heard her testimony at James Robinson's crusades and things like this. And people that had never seen her before came saying God had told them to speak to her and raise her from the dead. And I mean at that funeral, people were speaking to her in, in that casket and commanding her to get out of the grave and all kinds of things were happening. We didn't understand why it didn't work. And you know, as a result, her dad came to me and we were talking about healing and he said, well, Andy, it's evident that, you know, it's not God's will to heal everybody. And I said, no, the Bible says it's God's will to heal. 
And I was standing on that, and he says, But look, if that's true, why wasn't Debbie here? And what he was saying is, Look, I don't care what the Bible says. Look what I see. Look at my experience. My experience is what I really believe, not God's Word. And did you know that's a convincing argument? It really is convincing, but it's wrong. It took me two and a half years, and did you know that that family cut me off because I said, Nope, it wasn't God's will that she died. They went to accepting it. They went to praising God for it. At the time, in my Baptist church, all kinds of people came out against me and said, Are you saying that God's will didn't come to pass? I said, I don't know what I'm saying. I just know that it was God's will for her to live, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's God's fault or our fault. or I didn't know who. I didn't know anything. I didn't know come here from Sikkim about the Lord back then. I was ignorant. It's a mere... Matter of fact, the reason she got sick was because she prayed that God would give her an incurable disease so that she could glorify God. And it's a long story, but it was wrong teaching. And uh, two and a half years later, God finally gave me understanding of why that happened and showed me. Two and a half years later. But did you know, I never would have got understanding if I hadn't have held on to the fact that, God, you're true, and my experience is a lie. You cannot let your experience dictate to you. Did you know there's a lot of people today that aren't serving God because they tried? They believed God for something, and they fell flat on their face. And they were more moved by their experience than they were by the Word of God. What that's saying is that they believe what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel more than what God says. They may not recognize that, but that's what they're saying. I guarantee you the first step in faith is making this decision that God's Word's true. Faith is action based on God's Word, not based on experience, not based on emotions, not based on feeling or anything else. We've got to get to the point where when God's Word says it, I don't care. If nobody acts like they believe it, if none of my experience match up with it, God's Word is true. That girl died of leukemia, but did you know because I stood fast and said, God, your word's true. God finally revealed the answer to me, and did you know that my next-door neighbor in Lamar, Colorado, had leukemia, and because I stood and learned the truth, we ministered to her, and she was healed, and she's healed today, praise God. A lady 50-something, nearly 60 years old, healed, saved because I was baptized in the Holy Ghost because I didn't go by my experience, but instead we went by the word of God. That's not easy, and I guarantee you it wasn't easy on me at the time. It would have been comforting. I would have been comforted at the time to think God's responsible. But did you know there would have been other people dead because of it? It might be comforting to think God did it, to back off of the Word of God and to go by your experience, but I guarantee you it'll also put you into bondage. It'll also make you susceptible. Satan may steal from you once, but if you'll get hold of the Word of God, he won't steal again, praise God. And so see, John the Baptist, even John, who was filled with the Holy Ghost. And I mean, this man lived a separated life, totally separated unto God. He wasn't out goofing off. He wasn't serving the devil. He wasn't living in sin. It wasn't the fact that he was reading pornographic literature, that he was going to the bars and getting drunk or any of these things. John the Baptist had lived an entire life being separated unto God, totally single-minded upon God, and he was in the dungeon for serving God. And did you know he began to doubt? He began to waver in his calling, in what he had said, in who Jesus was. He began to doubt everything that he had. That's hard to believe. But brothers and sisters, you take your eyes off of God and you get them on circumstances and there's not a one of you, I don't care how far you've gone with God, that can't go back on what God has done if you begin to start looking at circumstances. The Bible says that uh, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye be evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And it's simply saying what you focus your attention on is what you're going to be full of. If you're looking in the Word of God, if you're looking at the light, you'll be full of light. But you get your attention off of that, and I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've got, I guarantee you, you can be full of darkness. 
And if that light that's in you is turned into darkness, then how great is that darkness? Well, once you've seen the light and you get away from it, I guarantee you, it's hard to recover. You can, but it's hard. It's hard. You've got to keep your mind upon God. So John the Baptist, he began to doubt, sent two of his disciples. And in verse 20, it says, When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Think what that must have done to Jesus. Did you know Jesus and John were cousins? They probably didn't have any relationship before the ministry started, but Jesus honored and respected John. Did you know that Jesus saved at least six months' time in ministry because of John the Baptist? Did you know Jesus did not come on the scene and have to build his own following, have to build himself? John the Baptist was the forerunner, and the Bible says that he prepared the way of the Lord. He prepared, he turned the hearts of the fathers unto the children. He prepared those people for the Lord so that when Jesus came on the scene, he announced Jesus and Jesus hit the ground running. He didn't miss a lick. I mean, he was full-fledged ministry the first day. Did you know that could not have happened without John the Baptist? That couldn't have happened without a man that spent 30 years totally separated and just sacrificed his life living in a desert. Jesus wasn't insensitive to that. Jesus appreciated John the Baptist. John the Baptist was important to Jesus. And here, John the Baptist, the man who had meant so much to Jesus, turned around and began to say, Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one that's supposed to come? Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt like? Because here's the man that announced him to the whole nation of Israel that was now doubting whether he was really the Messiah. And notice Jesus' answer. There wasn't an answer. In verse 21, he didn't answer them immediately, but verse 21 says, In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. You know, Jesus for a period of time ignored their questions. In that period of time, he was ministering to people, saw the dead raised, the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open. He ministered to people, and then he simply turned around and said, Go tell them what you've seen, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, it doesn't sound like much of an answer. And I want you to look at verse 24 through 28. It says, When the messengers of John were departed. Now, this is important. I'll be back to this in a minute. When they were departed, this is what Jesus said. What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Boy, John the Baptist was important. John, Jesus right here said, Among those that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Did you know that Jesus put John the Baptist above Moses, above Elijah, above Elisha, above Isaiah, above Jeremiah, above any of the great men of God? Abraham. He put uh, John the Baptist greater than Abraham. Boy, what a tremendous compliment. I mean, that's pretty bold. That's a powerful statement. 
But did you know he didn't say that to these messengers that came to John? Did you know the messengers that came to John didn't go back saying, John, do you know what he said about you? Can you imagine how that would have ministered to John? To know what Jesus thought about him? To know what they said? Well, that could have that could have ministered to him so much he could have just gotten rid of his depression, of his discouragement, and all of these kind of things. In the natural, we could think, boy, what that would have done to have the man of the hour come on the scene and say, this is the greatest man that has ever lived in the history of the world. Boy, how that could have ministered to John. I read this and thought, Jesus, why didn't you say that to John? Why did you say it to other people? How come you didn't say that to John? And if you look at what he did say to John, it doesn't look like he said very much. He just said, go tell them that the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, and whoever is not offended is blessed. That doesn't look like much of an answer. But you know, as I meditated on this one time, the Lord really opened something up unto me that has revolutionized my life, and I believe it can yours too. Let's look over here in Isaiah chapter 35. By looking in John chapter 1, verse 23, John was ministering one day and some of the scribes and the Pharisees came to him and said, Who are you? Are you that prophet? And he said, No, I'm not that prophet. He said, Are you the Messiah? He said, No, I'm not the Messiah. He said, Well, who are you? And he said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, as spoke the prophet Isaiah. John the Baptist quoted Isaiah. John the Baptist was associated with Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 is the one that says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem. Say unto her that her warfare is accomplished. And then he goes on to say, Every mountain shall be uh, brought low. Every mountain and hill, I mean every valley shall be exalted and the rough places be made smooth. And I'll prepare the way before the Lord. These are the scriptures that God used to minister to John the Baptist about who he was and what his calling was. John knew these scriptures like the back of his hand. And here in in Isaiah chapter 35 is a scripture that John was familiar with. It says in verse 1, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And if you would take this in context, he's talking about the return of the nation of Israel that God, after he had sent them into captivity, would raise up a deliverer. And in that day, God would restore the nation of Israel. They didn't have the understanding that this was talking about that there was going to be a spiritual restoration, that there would be a kingdom that would come out of the Jewish nation, which we now call the church. But this is prophesying all of those things. And in verse 3 it says, Strengthen ye the weak hands, and comfort the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. And this is talking about Jesus. New Testament prophecy quotes this and ascribes this directly to Jesus. John the Baptist was associated with this. In verse 5 it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And if you'd continue to read, you'd find out that all of this is a prophecy concerning the Messiah. So John the Baptist knew these scriptures. And what Jesus was actually doing over there in Luke chapter 7, when John was in his worst moment of doubt, and Jesus loved John. Jesus referred him back to scriptures, what he was doing. When he said, go tell John the Baptist what you see, that the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, he was referring back to Isaiah chapter 35. He was referring John back to remember what the Word of God says. I have fulfilled the Word of God. He was pointing him back to the Word. 
Now, we look at that and we think, oh, but look how it could have ministered to him if he would have said all those nice things about John the Baptist, or if he would have just given some miracle. Like, say, for instance, Nathaniel came to Jesus, and he was doubting that Jesus was really the Messiah. He said, can any good thing come out of uh, Galilee? And they said, come and see. And so he came to Jesus, and when he came to Jesus, Jesus saw him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in, in whom is no guile. He complimented him. Did you know Nathaniel was still skeptical? He said, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before um, Philip called you while you were under the tree, I saw you. And you know, I believe there's a lot more to that than him just seeing him sitting under a tree. Apparently, that revealed to him his inner thoughts. It revealed to him what he had been going through. Nathaniel had been a disciple of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had announced Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, he had proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It is probable, I can't say this from Scripture, but it's probable that Nathaniel was sitting there saying, God, what's the truth? Is he really the Messiah? God, show me. God, give me something. I mean, it's very probable that he was saying, God, show me that this is the Messiah. And then Jesus says, I saw you were under that fig tree, in effect saying, I saw what you were asking. This is the answer to what you were asking. I really believe that that's what happened. I can't verify all of that. But whatever Jesus said, it reached right down into the heart of Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, because his thoughts were read, fell down and he said, You are the Christ. You're the Son of God, the King of Israel. What a tremendous revelation. What would it have done to John the Baptist if Jesus would have done some miracle? and told his disciples, I know exactly what he's been thinking, and begin to start operating in a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and all of these things. Well, we can look at that and think, wouldn't that have blessed him? Wouldn't that have been a ministry to him? And yet Jesus, all he did was say, go back and tell him what the word says. Go back and refer him to Isaiah chapter 35. Boy, that's powerful. You know what God spoke to me through that? He said, Andy, he says, there's, there's times, you know, that I get discouraged. There's times that all of us at one time or another have been discouraged. And maybe you... Uh, because of problems, situations, or, or any number of things that can come against you, you get to where you really doubt something that God has shown you. And you know, a tendency is that we'll come and we'll want God to do something special for us. I couldn't tell you the number of times that people have come to me and they've wanted me to give them a prophecy or me to give them a word or something that's going to turn their life around. And there is a place for that. God will do that on occasions. God will reach to people. I am not denying the gifts of the Holy Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, but I am saying that that is inferior to you acting on the Word yourself. The gifts of the Spirit are to help bring us unto a place of maturity. That is not maturity. The gifts of the Spirit are simply helps along the way. Until you do get perfect, until you do get to where you're walking in the Word of God, you need people to help you through calling things out and through doing this. But the real mature Christian is the person that will simply go by what God says, and they don't have to have a vision or a dream or a revelation or a word of knowledge or anything other than God's Word. The highest form of faith is the person that will base his entire life on what God says, and if circumstances don't line up, well, forget it, amen. You aren't going to go by anything other than what God's Word says. You don't have to have any confirmation. I've had people come to me and say, well, God spoke this scripture to me, and I need some confirmation. Man, if you've got a scripture spoken to you, you don't need any confirmation. Now, you might need to rightly divide it. You need to make sure that what you're getting out of that scripture is there, but you don't need the Word of God to be confirmed. I've had people come to me, and of course, many of us have heard teaching on rhema and logos. In other words, this is the written Word of God, but it doesn't prompt you until it becomes the living Word of God, until God speaks it to you. I agree with that. I mean, this Bible, you can lay it on top of your head until your head gets flat and you won't get healed. This Bible isn't going to heal anybody until it becomes alive, quick and powerful. I agree with that, okay? 
But many times when people teach that, what they're basically saying is, until God speaks this to you, it doesn't apply to you. So therefore, it may not be God's will to heal you because has God ever spoken it to you and made it a reality that healing's for you? I've heard people apply it that way. I do believe in a rhema and a logos. I do believe that this is a written word of God and it's got to become a lie. But it's not depending on whether God quickens it to you or not. God's given it all to us and all of it is meant to be personal, direct to us. Whether it's quickened to you or not just depends on whether you've got in and dug it out. It's all meant to be revealed unto us. It's all meant to be quickened unto us. And if it's not quickened to you, it's because God, it's not because God didn't quicken it. It's because you haven't let that word quicken you most of it because we haven't been in the Word of God. How can God quicken something to you that you don't know? All of it's for us. All of this Word's given to us. And this is God's method of speaking to us. And many people, brothers and sisters, we got the Word under our arm and people are sitting here saying, Oh God, give me a Word! Oh God, speak to me! Oh God, I ask you to have Andrew Womack call out what I need tonight. Oh God, I ask you for this. Oh, God, why don't you ever speak to me? And you're beating your Bible on your hand. God, where are you? Right here is God. This is God speaking to you. There's nothing more important than this. There's nothing that will ever supersede this. Over here in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter, the apostle, was, was writing to people and he was verifying to them that what he was saying was not his opinion. It wasn't something that he concocted. In verse 16, he says, For we have not followed... This is Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's trying to validate his testimony. And so he says, Look, I can prove to you that what I'm saying is not man's opinion. This isn't a religion. This isn't a doctrine. This is something that is real, and I can prove it to you because I was an eyewitness of his majesty. And then he begins to refer to the transfiguration. In verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. They were with Jesus when Jesus literally changed in his appearance. His garments began to radiate light. So much light that the Bible says it was whiter than anything that's on the face of the earth. He was radiating light. And then a cloud overshadowed him and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now that would validate your testimony, wouldn't it? <laughs> Amen. To hear God himself speak of the Lord Jesus. But then in the next verse he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What can be more sure than the audible voice of God? The written word of God. If you'll go on and read, especially down in verse 20, he says, Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing... There is nothing that supersedes the written Word of God. The audible voice of God does not supersede the written Word of God. If God was to come into this place tonight, and if there was a ball of fire that hit this place and a rushing mighty wind, and all of a sudden all of us fell on our face, and God spoke out in an audible voice and said, Ask me anything and I'll do it. Man, many of you would just start laden him, amen, with all of these requests. You would believe God. You'd believe, man, you could ask anything and you'd get it. Did you know the Bible says that a dozen times or more in here? If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. That the Father may be glorified. Did you know that this is more important than that audible voice? And yet most of us would be more moved by something that we could hear, something that would hit our emotions. Did you know when I minister to people a lot, God speaks to me, and the way that He speaks to me is through the Word of God. I'd say 99.9% .9 of everything I've ever heard or learned from God has come direct through Scripture, being quickened to me. That's the way God speaks to me. 
I don't get things through dreams and revelation. I, I had a dream uh, two months ago that God spoke something supernatural to me through, and I've had uh, maybe half a dozen other in my life. And I've never seen a vision uh, with my eyes in my life, I don't think. I've never heard an audible voice, and yet God has spoken some powerful things to me. I've called people's names out. I've told them their names. I've done all kinds of things. The vast majority of that is simply God quickening Scripture to me. Like, say, for instance, when people will come forward many times, I'll sit there and I operate in the discerning of spirits, and I'll discern a person that's just totally discouraged, a person that's ready to quit and give up. I mean, that's easy to discern. I can't explain it to you, but it's a gift. I can tell a person when uh, it's not a discerning, it's not a spirit of criticism. There's a lot of people that claim discerning of spirits, and it's nothing but a critical spirit. They go around always looking for the negatives. I'm not looking for bad things, but I'm just saying I can tell when a person needs this or needs that. It's just a gift that operates in my life. And when I discern that, the Lord most of the time will quicken to me Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Consider Jesus, who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you also be wearied and faint in your mind. If you're weary, if you feel like fainting and giving up, if you're tired of living the Christian life, if it seems like things aren't working, I can tell you what the problem is. It's because you haven't been looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You've been looking at your problems. You've been stayed on your problem, and you've spent more time meditating on your problem. Now, you may have prayed the Scripture, but you've spent more time thinking about your problem than you have your answer, or you would not be weary. Mm -hmm. There's no exceptions there. So I'll sit there, and I'll lay hands on a person, and I'll tell them, you're discouraged. You, you felt like quitting. You felt like giving up. And I say, the Lord says unto you that you need to consider Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Your problem is that you've been looking at your problem instead of at your answer to the problem. You know, all I've done is paraphrase Scripture. I've made it something personal. I've made it something like God is speaking to you directly. People will take that and their whole life will get changed. And they've been carrying that same word right under their arm to church for 10 months. Totally discouraged. Totally defeated. And the only difference was that it became alive to them because they heard somebody speak it. Did you know you can take God's Word and you can make it alive to yourself? And I guarantee you, it'll benefit you more when you're able to get it from the Word than when you're able to get it from me. You know, at one time when I first got turned on to the Lord and I finally found out that God did speak through dreams and visions and revelations and, and uh, Kenneth Hagin had God come and put fire in his hands and do all of these kind of things, I started praying for that. Oh, God, I want to see three visions and have five dreams and have an angel appear to me. And I started praying and asking for all of these kind of things. And, you know, finally God spoke to me and he said, Andy, if you do that, it'll hinder you because it'll set you back. And he referred me to John chapter 20 where Thomas, you remember, was not with the twelve when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He came and showed himself to the twelve. But Thomas wasn't with him. And so they said, Thomas, the Lord is risen and he's appeared to us. And he said, unless I can see... With my eyes, the print in his hands, and stick my finger into the print in those hands and thrust my hand into the hole in his side, I will not believe. And then when Jesus appeared to him eight days later, he said, Thomas, reach hither your finger and put it into my hand and put your hand into my side and be not faithless but believing. And Thomas fell down and he said, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus' reaction was, Thomas, have you believed because you saw me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He put the greater blessing on the person that did not go by what they saw but took God's word. In the 8th chapter of the book of Matthew, there's a, a centurion that came to Jesus wanting his servant to be healed. And he asked the Lord to come and heal his servant. So the Lord said, I will come and heal him. And then he said, no, Lord, you, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house. He says, if you'll speak the word only, my servant will be healed because I'm a man under authority. I have servants under me and I tell this man, go and he goes to another come and he comes and he'll do it. Whatsoever I say, he'll do it. And if you'll just speak the word only, my servant shall be healed. You know, Jesus turned around and he said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. 
and then that man's servant was healed. You know why Jesus said that? He was marveled at a man's faith. Boy, that's amazing, isn't it? That Jesus would marvel at our faith. And David Engel says, well, Isaiah 53, 5, Matthew 8, 17, 1 Peter 2, 24, 3 John, verse 2, gave him those healing scriptures. His man says, I know all of those, but if you got any on cancer? <laughs> That's foolish, see? God, he knew what God's Word says, but he wasn't mixing it with faith. It doesn't profit you unless you mix it with faith. You've got to get to where you start taking this Word as direct to you. You don't read it like a history book. You know, when I was in Vietnam... I was over there praying, boy, that God would just do something. I was new. I didn't have much ability to minister to people and things like this. And yet I was praying that God would reach those guys. I had a chaplain come through. The only chaplain, I was a chaplain's assistant. And the only chaplain I worked for who was born again. The rest of them, one of them got drunk and got up on a stage and took his clothes off and took a girl's clothes off and they had to drag him off the stage. And those are the kind of chaplains I worked for in the Army. And... Uh, so this one chaplain came through who was born again. He was a Baptist man, and he started a Bible study at my request. And he let me pick the book. And I picked the book of Acts. I thought, boy, bless God. There's, there's no way we can miss the Holy Ghost in this one. I said, even if he misses it, I can bring it out. I said, you know, the Holy Ghost is just full of power and miracles. I said, we are going to get into some good stuff. You know, I sat there for about six or seven weeks. We went through the book of Acts. And that man was so anointed. I have never seen anybody so slick that was able to miss every supernatural thing in the book of Acts. We would read about Paul's missionary journeys and read about him raising people from the dead and blind eyes being opened, all of these miracles. He would read the scriptures and then he'd go to a map and he says, now this is where he traveled. Now who remembers what was the last city he was in? And we learned all history about the book of Acts. I can tell you where Paul went. I can still remember the names of all the cities. But it was amazing how he missed God out on it. He studied the book like it was a history book. He read it and he knew where Paul went, but he didn't know what Paul did. He couldn't have told you a single miracle that Paul did in the whole book of Acts. And then when he got to these miracles, like in the third chapter of the book of Acts, where he saw the man at the gate of the temple lame and he raised him up, he spiritualized that. We were all lame from our mother's womb. Ever since we've been born, we've been dead in our trespasses and sin. And we haven't been able to do what God wants us to do. But when Jesus comes into our life, he heals us. And we now can run and leap and praise God because of the new birth. And goes on. Well, that's a great comparison, but that's not what Acts chapter 3 is talking about. It's not talking about the new birth. It's talking about a man that was crippled that for 38 years. had never walked, and God did a supernatural miracle and healed him. He just missed it. Brothers and sisters, we're missing God speaking to us. The Bible, you know, if all you know is by His stripes we're healed, you don't have to know any other scriptures. It just blows me away. I was over in Costa Rica recently. I, I heard today that you had the uh, people here that are going to Ecuador and the people that he's going to Ecuador to work with, Don Sims and all these others. I was down with them in Costa Rica during the month of March. And I ministered down there. And did you know those people? You can come up to them and say one scripture. You can tell a sick person, by His stripes you're healed. And they'll receive Miracles will happen. We saw blind eyes open. We saw deaf ears open. We saw lump tumors dissolve. We saw things happen. Miraculous. You come back to the States, somebody says, man, they can quote to you Isaiah 53, 5, 1 Peter 2, 24, Matthew 8, 17, 3 John, verse 2. They know all of them and they're still sick. It's not how much you know, but it's how much what you know affects you. And we've gotten to where, man, we are into the spectacular. We go to the places that are fancy. We go to the places that, man, have all the charisma and the appeal. And we've gotten to where we respond to anything and everything but the Word of God. 
We've gotten to where we hear so much word that you can listen to somebody on the radio and you hear it just a few minutes, oh, it, they're preaching the word again and you'll turn, go listen to the news. We've gotten to where the word is just so commonplace to us that we don't pay attention to it. You know, there's people in parts of the world today that are giving their life to smuggle in one page of the Bible so that people can read it. There are people that are that hungry for the Word. There are many of us that have got a Bible. you got ten Bibles, and you hadn't opened to one of them today, unless it's to study out of following somebody else as they read. Brothers and sisters, we missed it. The Word of God is where it's at. Many of us say that, and yet by our actions we prove what we really believe. How much quality time do we really spend in the Word of God? If this is the Word of God, if this is a more sure word of prophecy than the audible voice of God, how many of you have heard it today? If God was to speak to you and say in the morning at 6 o'clock a.m., there's going to be an audible voice come. Make sure that you're awake so that you can hear it. Don't you think this brother would be up? (laughs) (laughs) And yet how many of you have God spoken to about getting up early and maybe spending some quiet time in a devotion and reading the Word of God? And you just, oh, God, I'm tired or whatever, and you put it off. It hasn't become special to us. We don't honor and cherish the Word of God. And then we wonder, why hadn't God been speaking to me? God might speak to you other than the Word of God, but until you get to where this is your final authority, I don't believe He will. Or it'll be very spasmodic. All of those things are side effects. I I prayed with a girl. I, I mentioned this over at Jubilee Fellowship this morning. But I prayed with a girl this last week. She was wanting prayer for her unsaved boyfriend to get born again. And I, I knew the situation. And I just told her, I said, look, I said, I can pray for him, but I'm not going to agree with you for your boyfriend to get saved until you do what God told you to do. And she just looked at me stunned, and I said, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and you aren't obeying what God said. And I said, until you act on what you know, you hadn't got any other recourse. I said, you need to do what God will. You need to take the word that God has spoken to you before you start getting another word from God. And did you know that girl went ahead and acted on it and broke off with her boyfriend, and by Sunday was just totally set free. She knew it was the best thing that ever happened. She was praising God, and her boyfriend admitted it too. I believe he's going to get born again because of her stand and what she did. But did you know there's a lot of us that God may have spoken a dozen things to you through Scripture, and you say, well, I know it was happening, but oh, I need something else. You don't need anything else until we begin to act on what we do know. And you don't need some flash of light. You don't need a great emotional experience. We need to get to where we just elevate God's Word to the place that it really belongs and begin to say that this is God's Word to me. When He says, If by His stripes I'm healed, I'm healed. That's all I need. I don't need somebody to come prophesy. I don't need somebody to call out my name and tell me what my sickness is before I believe it's God's will to heal me. When you get to where you believe what God said in His Word, you'll be healed. When you get to where you believe what God said in His Word and you don't have to wait on the congregation to confirm it to you, you'll be effective. We have not placed that kind of importance on God's kind of Word and because of it, Satan has been stealing, robbing from us. All of our faith is based on God's Word. If you do not maintain the integrity of God's Word, if you don't believe that God's Word is a more sure word of prophecy than the audible voice of God, than the prophecy, than the pastor coming and laying hands on you, than somebody else doing something else, if you don't get to where you put this and exalt it higher than that, then you do not have faith. Faith is based on God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's Word. And if your faith is based on something else, it's not God's Word. There are many of us quoting the right scriptures and we're quoting the right principles and we're saying the right things. We wouldn't dare confess. It makes it just scares me to death. You wouldn't say that because you're confessing the Word of God. But if you'd be honest, you're more moved by what your experiences say. You're more moved by what the doctor says. Man, all a doctor would have to do is say, 
cancer, you're going to die. And there's many of us that would fall all over ourselves in fear. And yet we can know 1,500 scriptures that say that we're going to be healed, but one word of cancer will destroy it. You know why? It's not what you know, but it's the fact that we honestly put more faith, we esteem and exalt the word of certain people higher than the word of God. I guarantee you the majority of people in here, great spirit-filled faith people, the majority of you in here would take the word of a doctor and it would move you and control your life 10,000 times more than what God says about you. Now, I know God didn't send me here to say this, send me here to say this to the people that aren't here. <laughs> oh, brother, I know so-and-so really needs to hear this. Y'all don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we haven't believed God's word. You know, faith's simple. You believe God's word. If you really believe it, by his stripes, you're healed. The doctor can come and say, you're dead. It's over. And you'll be more moved by what God's word says than you are by what the doctor says, than what your circumstances say. You know, I'm not a perfect example of this, but I've been through some pretty hard things, and, I, and we've been through some things just within the last few months, you know, where it looked like total financial disaster, et cetera, et cetera. And I had a board of advisors and two bank presidents that came and looked at our standings and said, it's over. You're through. Finished. Amen. Close the doors. Go home. I mean, in the natural, there's no way we can, we can continue. And yet, did you know, I just could not be moved by that because I know what God spoke to me. I know what God said. And even though I couldn't justify the two, I mean, the paper, it wasn't a lie what they was looking at. This is something I learned just a couple of weeks ago, that many faith people, you know, with their confession, have based it on Romans chapter 4, verse 18 or 17, where it says God calls those things which be not as though they were. A lot of faith people have gotten to where they started calling things which are as though they be not and calling that faith. That's not what the Word says. The Word, you can't use faith to call something that is as though it isn't. Anybody get that? You meditate on that. That'll bless you. You don't have to ignore circumstances or situations. You don't call those things which are not as though they, I mean, those things that are as though they are not, but you have the ability to call those things that are not as though they were. You have the ability to bring creative force into play. And did you know I just believed God's Word? There wasn't any option. And as a result, God brought us through it. Amen? I mean, we aren't totally through it. Some people might look at it and say, we still got some problems, but I guarantee you we're two-thirds of the way out of it. It's miraculous. And even the skeptics are saying, brother, you're making it. You're making it. Amen? It's working. But see, I just reached a place where I believed God's Word. All of the facts were contrary, but God's Word to me was more important than what I could see, than what paper said, than what bank presidents said, people that I respect or anything else. God's Word was just more important. Did you know if you can reach a place like that, you'll always come through? That doesn't mean the devil won't fight you, but it means that you'll always win. Brothers and sisters, if you've lost, it's because we have not esteemed God's Word. I'm not saying you don't know God's Word, but there's a difference between knowing it and being moved by it. We've gotten to where we have allowed other things to come in and occupy the place that God's Word should occupy in our life. There's a lot of people in here that believe in prosperity. You're confessing it, you'd fight for it, and yet all you got to hear is a negative report on television, on radio about the economy. And I guarantee you, it'll get more action out of you than what God's Word says concerning prosperity. There's a lot of you in here that know all of the scriptures on healing, and you know what they say, 
but you haven't really esteemed them as being a more sure word of prophecy than anything else, even an audible voice from heaven. And all you got to hear is on television something about its flu season. And I guarantee you, you'll go planning on getting sick. You'll go to meditating on it, thinking about it, making plans for taking off work, doing all the necessary things. You know, we laugh at that, but that's not funny. We get to where we take for granted God. You know, familiarity, this is just a natural thing that I've observed. I can't give you a scripture for this, but familiarity breeds contempt. When you first have, when you first meet a person, you're very polite. You treat them very kindly. You're cautious about that relationship. You're doing whatever you can to maintain it. But once you get familiar with the person, the people that you're the most familiar with, you treat the worst. You get to where you actually disdain that relationship. Husband and wives could testify to that, that the people that you love the most, sometimes you treat the rudest. You don't ask them please anything. You wouldn't come up and dare talk to me the way you talk to your mate. I'm talking about in a negative sense. There's some of you that'll come up and be so sweet to me and say, Brother, would you please help us? But if it was your mate, you'd say, Why don't you ever help me? We don't even give them common courtesy. Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, your kids take you for granted. I know that I took my parents for granted. When my dad died at 12 years old, all of a sudden I got to thinking, man, why have I never told my dad that I love him? I'm sure I did, but I couldn't remember. All of those things, I began to realize how I'd neglected him, and, and after it was gone, then you begin to think about well, all the things that you should have done and could have done. Your, your children probably take you for granted. Did you know that because of our familiarity with God, we take him for granted? We take what he says for granted. We'd listen to the word of Walter Cronkite before we an esteem in higher than the voice of God. Y'all may think, oh, I wouldn't do that, but if I could get down inside of you and look at your thoughts, I guarantee you every one of you, in some way or another, had been more moved by what the news media reports than what God says. And brothers and sisters, that's a shame. God's word is infallible. He's never missed it. It's never failed. It'll always stand. If the mountain and hills be removed and cast into the sea, the Bible says that his word will stand forever. God's word is more sure than the ground that you're standing on. It's more sure than an audible voice of God. It's more sure than an emotion, a feeling, a goosebump. And yet very few of us have really esteemed it. Well, one of the first things that God did when I got turned on to the Lord, I didn't know anything about God. But I remember just a month or so after I really started seeking God, I was I was so full of the love of God, of the joy of God, I was turned on, but at the same time I was more frustrated than I had ever been in my life because now I had a vision. I knew that God was greater than I had ever seen, thought, or comprehended. I knew that there was power that was available. I knew that God wasn't a Baptist and that, praise God, He still healed and did miracles today, and I just began to get excited. And yet, at the same time, I didn't know what I needed to know. And I mean, I would spend hour after hour just saying, Oh, God, what have I got to do to learn? How am I ever going to learn these things? And I remember one night in my bedroom in Arlington, Texas, I was praying. And as I was praying, I had my Bible open and I looked at it and the Lord spoke to me and he said, this right here has got everything you need in it. He says, just pour yourself into the Word. Give yourself totally to consume and understanding my Word. And he said, everything you need is in there. Everything. 
And did you know I got to where I started pouring over this? I was spending 16 hours a day studying the Word, day and night, day and night. Now, not everybody can do that, but I was in a position to do it. For over three months, I spent at least 16 hours a day studying the Word, every day, every day. And I just pouring through it. And I began to learn and receive so much. I remember as I was praying, crying and looking at this book and just praising God for it, hugging this book and thanking God for giving me a copy of His Word. Did you know you can't know God apart from His Word? You can't know God through visions and dreams. Those things may remind you of something God said, but this is the only revelation of God. A vision or a dream or something may be uh, an add-on. It may be an extra, but it will never substitute. It will never um, surpass the Word of God. This is God's revelation to us. People have died. There are thousands of people that died to put this in our hands today. There are people today crying out that God would reveal the very truths that we carry in our hands and keep on our tables that are gathering dust. There are people that are crying and pleading for God for those revelations. There's many of you in here that are praying and saying, Oh God, I need healing. And yet how much time do you spend in the Word? The Bible says out of first, Second Peter chapter 1, All things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto us through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. This word is the knowledge of God. And all things that pertain unto life and godliness come through here. Not some things, all things. If you need healing tonight, it's going to come through understanding God's word. Do you need a special word from God? It's going to, under, it's going to come through understanding God's word. Do you need direction in your life? It comes from understanding God's word. Do you need a partner? It comes from understanding God's Word. I shared this morning, for those of you that are there, how God put me and my wife together through the Word of God, and we were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. Through the Word of God. The Word of God will get you your mate. We've got children that are a direct product of the Word of God. God named them, called them. We had perfect child, uh, painless childbirth because of God's Word, because of what it says. We brought our children up. We saw one of our sons that was virtually dead raised up because of what the Word of God says. Amen? Praise the Lord. We've seen people heal. We've seen everything. We've seen our finances supplied. We've seen everything that we need come through the Word of God, through exalting God's Word. Everything that pertains unto life and godliness is given unto us through the knowledge of God's Word. There's people in here with needs tonight, but how many of you have been in the Word of God today looking for those needs? Brothers and sisters, we've got to grow up and recognize that, yes, God gave people to the church. I'm not denying that. I'm a, I'm a gift to the church. God gave me a gift. I don't want anybody to go out of here and refuse to let me minister for you. But I tell you, I'd be doing you a disservice if I tried to cultivate you leaning on me instead of God's Word. I may have to help you. What if you don't know enough of God's Word to get healed? Do you just have to sit there and keep cramming the Word in you? And if you've only got a week to live and it takes three months before you get enough Word in you, do you die? No, that's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. Man, you better find somebody with a gift of healing on their life and you better let them lay hands all over you, amen, and get that gift and get healed, but that should only be a temporary measure until you get strong enough in the Word of God to begin to start walking in healing on your own. The body of Christ, though, has been sloppy. We are not committed to God. We are not in the Word of God. I tell you, sometimes I'm tempted to just have a show of hands, but I know that there's a lot of people who get mad at me if I did that. But if I had you raise your hands, how many of you have spent quality time studying God's Word today? I mean, really sat down and listened to it. I bet you that there wouldn't be over a dozen people in this room that have really spent quality time with God. Spirit-filled people. Somebody said, oh, brother, I can't believe there's not any more than that. You just hadn't talked to as many people as I've talked to. 
Would you all like to take a survey tonight? Not many people would be excited about that, would they? And yet we want God's Word. We want God to speak to us. We want God to direct us. We want, he, we want all of the things, but we don't want to spend any time in the Word. i got things to do. A lot of it is just totally carnal. You could be better off with that. Some of you just got to know what's going on in the world. You got to keep abreast of things. You'd be better off not to know. Every once in a while, I watch the news just to find if we declared war or anything. <laughs> but you know, I'm not. I'm not any worse off. Well, you're misinformed. Well, if you're watching the news, you're misinformed. <laughs> I guarantee you, I'm not any worse off than anybody else. And plus, I get God speaking to me. Plus, I'm able to hear the voice of God because I spend time with Him. We need to start spending time in God's Word. We need to start being like the Scripture says in Psalms chapter 19, that the Word of God is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. How many of you really believe what the Word says? I don't mean this to be critical. I'm saying this and it convicts me too, but we do not believe Psalms 19. If you really believe that God's Word was to be much, much more desired than much fine gold, you'd be getting in it. If I told you that out here in this yard was buried a million dollars worth of gold bullion, and if you believe me, and if I said it's out there, and I'm not going to tell you where in this courtyard, but it's out there, I guarantee you, there wouldn't be many people left in here. They would be out there digging for it. Even if it wasn't easy to come by, you'd be digging for it. You'd be looking for it. There's some of you that your whole life is consumed with making a living. Your whole life is consumed with making your ends meet. And you've elevated that to a place that's more important than the Word of God. But the Bible says that His Word is to be much more desired than much fine gold. If we really believed that, we'd be digging in the Word of God the same as you'd be digging in your yard. Oh, but brother, I'm tired. I've been up since early this morning. Well, if you had a million dollars in your backyard, would you think you'd just go to bed? I guarantee you, you'd be out there with the flashlight digging late at night. Isn't that true? How many of you have ever stayed late and worked because you had things to do and etc., etc.? Your actions speak louder than your words. What you are speaks so loud that I can't hear what you say. Our actions show that we do not esteem God's Word as a more sure word of prophecy. We do not desire it more than fine gold. The majority of us in here spend much more time cultivating riches and seeking riches than we do God's Word. And I'm not saying that you've got to quit your job. I'm saying you can be on your job and keep your mind stayed on the Word of God, meditate the Word of God on a continual basis. You don't have to have your face in the book. Matter of fact, the majority of the Bible study I do is without a Bible. How can you do that? When you first start out in the Word of God, the majority of your time is going to be just like this, reading. Because you can't meditate something that you don't have. But did you know once you begin to start putting God's Word in, you know, i got tens of thousands of scriptures on the inside of me. Did you know that you can start meditating those scriptures and get revelation out of it? And I get the majority of the things that God ministers to me, I get them while I'm just laying in bed. Or while I'm praising God, driving down the road, I get a tremendous amount of them. In the shower, hey man, I get great revelations in the shower. Good things happen. You don't have to be sitting here looking at the Word if first you got it in you. Now, the first, 
I don't know if any of you have ever realized that, but when you first were turned on to the Lord, you just spent constantly pouring over the Word day and night. The more you grow in the Lord, the more you'll spend meditating the Word of God. Now, you never get away from studying it because none of us know it all. And you, we've got to get it in us first, all right? But once you get it in you, then you've got to get out of you what's in you. Amen? You've got to get that revelation of it. And you can meditate the Word of God while you're doing something else, while you're working. You can be in the Word of God day and night. Psalms 1 says, In thy law do I meditate day and night. When you get to where you meditate in the law of the Lord day and night, when you esteem it more a sure word of prophecy than an audible voice of God than anything else, you won't come into that despondency. You won't come into a place of doubt. If you've got doubt in your life, I don't care if it's in the area of healing, it doesn't matter if it's in the area of whether God's real or not or whether all of this faith stuff's right or not or does God really prosper or is God ever going to really do these things. If you've got doubt in any areas because you've not meditated God's word day and night. Amen? If you keep your mind stayed on God's Word, you'll be full of faith. If all you think is God's Word, all you can have is faith, because faith comes by hearing. If you've got doubt, it's because you have not been hearing God's Word. Doubt comes through meditating on the things of the devil the same way that meditating on the things of God brings faith. If you've got doubt, it didn't just happen. Doubt is not something that just is a malady that strikes all of us, and it's our human nature. Doubt is caused by the things that you think on. You've got to be taught how to doubt. You've got to be taught to operate in as much unbelief as what we operate in. It does not happen accidentally. You focus your mind on negative things, and I guarantee you, you'll be negative, and you'll be full of doubt and unbelief. You focus yourself on the Word of God, and you'll be full of the Word of God. We need to grow up. We need to discipline ourselves. You need to make some commitments. And you need to start esteeming God's Word more important than your daily meat. You know, that's what Job said. Job was a perfect man, upright, one that eschewed evil and feared God. And he said, I esteem your word more than my daily bread. How many of you have missed any meals lately? I guarantee you there's a lot of us that have missed some of these meals. There's a lot of us that have a time set aside. If you don't have a time set aside to serve God, then you had not even made the first step. If you don't have a time set aside to study the word and pray, you need to do it. Would you like to take a survey and find out how many have a daily devotion time set aside with God? What's well, quiet in this Presbyterian church? <laughs> they like this with you, brother? <laughs> I know that this isn't one of those shouting sermons. Not everybody's real excited about this, but I guarantee you this will be maybe one of the most important things that you've ever heard. You need to start setting aside time to seek God on a daily basis. They ate manna every day. They didn't live off what they got five years ago. You've got to have the Word of God on a daily basis. It's got to be fresh. We've got to seek after God. We put God last on the list. He'll be there tomorrow. You know, if I said I was coming over to your house at 6 in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning, some of you might not like that, but you probably would let me in. If I said I'd be there, you'd at least get up. But how many of you have got a time set aside, an appointment with God, where you're going to study either in the morning, afternoon, when, sometime, and you do it if it's convenient? But if you come to a service like this and you have to drive all the way back to Kansas City and you stop along the way and fellowship with your friends and you get tired and you don't get home till 12 or 1 o'clock, well, maybe that time with the Lord can slide because you're tired and you need your strength to be able to go to work. You know, if you had to get up and go to work tomorrow morning, 
you'll set the alarm and you'll drag yourself out of bed and you do, you'll do what you've got to do to get to work because that's important. But we'll let our relationship with God slide because that's not as important. You would never say that, but you act that. Brothers and sisters, that's not esteeming God's Word. And then we wonder, why is my faith where it should be? You cannot have faith unless you maintain the integrity of God's Word, unless you believe that it is to be more desired than much fine gold. You can't, you can't operate in faith unless God's Word is what consumes you, unless you believe it, unless you would die for it, unless you'll defend it with everything that you got. You can't operate in faith without that kind of a conviction. If you think this is simply man's writing and that God uses it the best that he can, if you don't believe it's the Word of God, you'll never make it. You've got to believe in it as being the inspired Word of God. And that demands some time. It takes some commitment. We need to start spending some quality time with God. And you remember this about John the Baptist, for those of you that need something. For those of you that need encouragement and you're looking to the television to get it off the 700 Club, or you're looking to PTL, or you're coming to church, or you're calling up your friends, or you're just praying and asking God for a feeling, remember that Jesus loved John the Baptist, thought he was the greatest man that had ever walked on the face of the earth, and yet he would not refer him to anything except God's Word. That was the greatest thing he could do for him. That was the most love that he could show to John the Baptist was to point him back to the Word. That may sound a little discouraging sometimes when we say, Oh, God, but I need more. No, that's what you need is the Word of God. You need to be pointed back to God's Word. You need to be reminded that God's Word is what got you to where you are. It's what got you out of, of hell in the first place. It's what made your life the difference, and you need to never get away from that. And we need to seek God with our whole heart, just like the times that we were in trouble and that our back was against the wall and that we were desperate. You need to be seeking like that in prosperity when you aren't in trouble. You need to be hungering and thirsting after the Word of God. Only those that hunger and thirst are going to be filled. We need to pray that God will give us a uh, hunger for the Word of God that will never get satisfied till the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, we're all going around talking about, oh, I'm so fulfilled in the Lord. I'm so full of joy in the Lord. I am too. I agree with that. I am not discrediting that. But did you know there needs to be a dissatisfaction at the same time? There needs to be a hunger. There needs to be a hunger that even though I'm glad with, I'm, I'm, con, I'm pleased with where I've come, praise God for it, I am not content to stay where I am. There's still people that I lay my hands on that die. There's a man that, down in, I prayed for him in Trinidad uh, last December, and I got a call Thursday, and he died. I'm not pleased with that. I'm not dissatisfied. I'm not upset. I know that there's reasons for things like that, but I'm still not satisfied. There's so much more that we need to know. Brothers and sisters, if there's anybody sick in here tonight, it's God's will for you to be well. And in the Bible days, they saw all of the people healed. Not only in Jesus' day, but in the days of the disciples. That's what God's standard is. There's people that are hurting here tonight. They're going to go out of here hurting even after hearing God's word because of the hardness of their heart. I'm not pleased with that. I'm not satisfied. Boy, there's more anointing. There's more manifestation of the power of God that'll break those old hard hearts, and we need to press into those things. We need to get out of being so complacent to where we're hungry for the things of God. We need to go back, some of us, a few years to where we were just consumed with seeking after God. 
And I know that there's some people in here that are like that now. I'm not saying everybody's that way, but I know that there's people in here like that. I know there's people in here that have let things slip, that you haven't meditated on the Word of God with all of your heart. And you need to go back. You need to go back to your first love. You need to go back to the Word of God to where it's so exciting, it's new, it's fresh to you. Take your Bible. It's all marked up with all of your great notes in it and put the thing aside and get you a new Bible. It doesn't have a mark in it. Did you know it'll be like God gave you a new Bible? And go to reading it just like it's a brand new one all over again. You'd be surprised what that'll do for you. You get so many marks in there that you can't read a scripture without thinking what you've been thinking for 10 years. And if there was new revelation for it in you, you couldn't see it. Man, I used to mark in my Bible where nobody could read it but me. And one time I got caught without my regular Bible, and so I, I had to pull out my New Testament that I used to witness to people. And I started reading it, and man, that was, that was 10 times better than my big Bible. Amen? It was just better. I thought it was a different Bible. Went home and had to compare it. It was the same one. But you know, the difference was that I was getting new, fresh revelation out of it. And you need to approach the Word of God just like a child and say, God, teach me something. Get into God's Word and honor it and esteem it, and I promise you it'll change your life. Well, that's simple what I've said tonight. It's so simple I hope you didn't miss it. If you got a problem tonight, it's because you have not maintained what God's spoken to you in His Word. You are not exalting God's Word. All things that pertain unto life and godliness come through the knowledge of God's Word. If you're deficient in any area, then you're deficient in the Word. Amen? No exception. So the answer is the Word. We've all got access to it, and it's just a matter of getting in it. Well, we need to make that number one priority is to know the Word of God. And if you'll do that, things will work. It's exactly that simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. You give yourself totally to God's Word and you'll walk in victory. Amen? We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.